take your Bibles and turn to James 3. As we've been working through James, we're up to James 3 and verses 13 through, four, 13 through 18, um, looking specifically at the idea and the concept of wisdom. Right? So who is wise? Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Last week we looked really closely at this idea of wisdom and what it means for us to receive God's wisdom as he lines it out for us. Um, Here in James 3, uh, God gives us two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom that's from above and wisdom that's not from above. And the wisdom that's not from above has certain characteristics and actions and results. And the wisdom that is from above has certain characteristics and actions and results. And we looked at those things and sort of parsed them and and pulled all of these seven different dynamics and characteristics of the wisdom that's from above, pulled them out, and linked them to a lot of Jesus' teaching, uh, particularly the Beatitudes, and also to the wisdom book of Proverbs, right? And the way that, that a Jewish writer like James would understand wisdom, like the depths, the riches of it, the, the engagement in it. I mean, it just goes so deep. And it's such an interesting way of thinking about wisdom. First, pure, right? Then peaceable, gentle, meek, right? I mean, th- these are all things that were, if we were to ask you to describe wisdom, like, I mean, would pure be the first thing that came, comes to your mind? You know, peaceable, would that be the, one, of the, one of the first characteristics? We might use words like helpful, right, or insightful, things like that. But if somebody gives you really good wisdom, like, you don't say, boy, that was really pure, thanks. You know, <laughs> but, but this is the wisdom from above. And, and the characteristics lead us to a picture, and it's that picture where we find ourselves, all right? And that picture is, is, is this picture which is that we see in 1 Corinthians 1 particularly that the cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. For the wisdom from above to be pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, merciful, impartial, not hypocritical, these are all characteristics, not necessarily of wisdom as an objective principle. It's sort of like knowledge properly used in the right situation. But that is Christ himself. Furthermore, to really drive the point home, Jesus is, is not only wisdom, but the cross of Christ, the work of Christ, is the wisdom of God. Right? Paul, when he writes this in 1 Corinthians 1, he uses the concept of power and wisdom, that the cross is the power of God. Does this look like a very powerful position for this man to be in? If anything, this is the, the ultimate in weakness. Right? But what God does through the cross is the most empowering thing that you and I have in our lives. Right? Jews want to talk about religion. Greeks want to talk about philosophy, Paul says. But none of those things is how God's wisdom works. This is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is his son 
hanging upon a cross. Interesting. Right? I mean, and is he not all these things? Is his crucifixion not pure? Is it not peaceable? Is there not mercy that is there? Gentleness. So willing to yield to our need. Right? Impartial. Not hypocritical. This is the work of the cross. This wisdom brings something. Right? Take your text. And we're going to focus on the last, the last verse. Verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right? A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's all read this out loud together. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom produces. I don't know about you, but like that's, that's a helpful concept for me. Maybe you've dealt this situation too. As pastor, I don't know, maybe I run into this more. I, I, I don't know. There's somebody in your life, right? And they come to you for advice, but they've already got their mind made up, right? And I'm not quite sure what it is that person wants from me at that spot. They say they're asking for wisdom, but they've already got their mind made up, right? So there's this situation that came to mind um, uh, a, a while ago, and this would be, this would be years ago. Um, you wouldn't know who this person is. Um, comes to me, comes to me for advice and said, Jay, um, I'd like for you to bless something that I've decided to do, which is always a, an interesting way to start. And I was just sort of like, well, tell me what you've decided to do, and I'll ask Jesus what I should do. And uh, so they had made a series of, of, of relational decisions in this situation and were deciding as a result of that to, to shift their life in, in, in a major way, right, to get involved in, in this relationship, to, to really pursue this thing. And um, I, I think that the wisdom of the moment, any one of us would have been in this situation, would have been like, uh, no, you, that, that's probably a bad thing for you to do. This would be a poor relationship for you to invest in at this point in time, right? Because um, essentially you're a Christian and, and he's not, and uh, you're headed this direction after Jesus and he's headed the other direction away from Jesus. So I would say that you shouldn't do this. And so she says, thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for your wisdom. So are you going to bless this? And I was just sort of like, um, I don't know what you think of the concept of blessing is. Right, um, but I, even more so, I, I'm not sure that you understand the concept of wisdom in this situation, because you've got to understand by making the decisions that you're making, you're, you're sowing seeds. There's a principle in Scripture called sowing and reaping. Right, what, what you what you sow, you will reap. And so you come to me asking for wisdom. Wisdom, I believe, would be this: We're going to love you and help you no matter what happens in your life. You know, we're gonna we're gonna love you but when it comes to like permission you don't need permission from me right like i i, I don't know if you're looking for it here turns out in the long run turns out in the long run that she just wanted to stand in for god right because god was saying no to this 
situation. Um, God's wisdom had already presented itself to her, and she was just looking for someone somewhere to say yes to it so that she could have what she actually wanted. Right? What that produces in her life is a sowing seeds of discord. It reaped a harvest of pain right, in her life. And she came back around. Hey, this was a bad decision. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. So glad that God was able to teach you some great things about himself in and through it. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is a principle in Scripture. We see it uh, like specifically laid out in, in Galatians 6. Right? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. James is interjecting wisdom into this sowing and reaping principle. Right? It's important to remember a few things when we think about James. Number one is that James is a focus on the second commandment. Right? James' focus throughout the entirety of his book is a focus on the second commandment. So when James brings wisdom into this situation, it is with an eye and an ear toward what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. James 1, 2, 3, all up to this point has been about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's what James thinks of as being the summation statement of Jesus and Jesus' ministry. James says, faith without works is dead. Don't tell me you're a Christian and then say that you don't love your neighbor. Those two things don't work. Your faith is going to show up in your life by the way that you live toward others and how you love others. It's a focus on the second commandment. So when James begins interjecting wisdom into the discussion, it is with a specific eye and an ear toward what it means to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Wisdom will be felt in real time. Wisdom will come into play in your relationships. And if we look back and think about the markers of wisdom, they're pure, they're peaceable, they're gentle, they're willing to yield to others, they're not hypocritical, they're impartial. All of these words have interrelational connotations. Right? I mean, what good is gentleness if there's not someone to be gentle toward? What good is impartiality if there's no people involved in the, someone to be impartial against? What good is hypocrisy if there's no one to be hypocritical in front of? You know what I mean? Like, it's all of these words, very interestingly, wisdom comes into the, into the point of the relational dynamic. Right? This is a second commandment book. So this is about how we live, not just what we think. This is about how we live, not just what we think. Wisdom is as much the practical outworkings of the decisions that you walk out in your life as it is your thought process getting to how it works. Wisdom is not something you consider up to the point that you make a choice, then wisdom stops here, and now I just walk out the rest of it. Now, now it gets practical, right? How, which is what everybody wants to know. How's, it, how's this going to be practical? Right? How's this, is, this, is this relevant to my life? You know, folks, saying the gospel... Relevance is a big deal, like, to the church in the last 30 years. Like, the church needs to be more relevant. Saying the gospel is relevant is like saying water is wet. I mean, you don't, you don't have to push for this thing. It, it, it sta- the wisdom of it stands on its own. So wisdom is not this place that, like, I sort of foster spiritually, and I sort of, like, get good information, and I process it, then it stops, then I walk out my life. No, it seems that wisdom carries itself out in the actual work of the relationships. 
in the same way that your relationship with Christ, who is wisdom, is an actual walking out of a relationship. This is about how we live, not just how we think. Resist the temptation to leave wisdom as this like ethereal, esoteric thing that's made for people with gray hair. Right? Resist that. Wisdom is real time. Wisdom is right now. Right? Wisdom is in the moment of how you live your life. And God would have us live in wisdom toward those that we live with. Living being the point. Note the language. Note the language. Three key words. Harvest, sow, and make. Let's say those three words together. Harvest, sow, and make. Look back at the verse. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's a question for you. Who else uses these words? Jesus. That's right. Yeah, these are Jesus words. Like this is a, th- these are three big concepts that Jesus would have for us. I bet if we think about how Jesus looks at this, we can learn something about what it means for a harvest of righteousness to be seen in our lives. That sowing in peace is reaping in peace. Right? When we look at these three words, we can see God reveal things to us in Matthew 9, Matthew 13, and in Matthew 5. Right? Take your Bibles from Matthew 9. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus says in Matthew 9, the end of the chapter, verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were what? They were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. What does a shepherd do for sheep? He guards them, right? He guides them. Are sheep very wise? No. Sheep are not wise. My boss had sheep, and they had a gate, and those sheep would come in to eat. He had about 30 of them. And you could stick your foot out in front of the first sheep, and it would jump over it, and the second sheep would jump over it. You could pull your foot back, and all 28 others would jump even though there's nothing there, right? They were like shep- sheep without a shepherd. A shepherd is a, is, a, is a wisdom giver in this situation, right? He is someone to, to guide, to guard. Then he said to his disciples, note the language, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right? He's looking at the people he is telling them, this field is ready to be, uh, to be reaped. The harvest is plentiful, but there's not many workers. So pray that God brings more into the harvest. Think back to James chapter 3. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right? A harvest of righteousness. What is James about? James is about your neighbors. James is about those around you. James is about loving others as you love yourself. How do you most love someone that doesn't know about Jesus? You live Jesus to them. You be who you are as a follower of Jesus in that place. The harvest is plentiful. 
the laborers are few. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Turn to Matthew 13. Now remember, we're talking about wisdom here. I think most of us would probably say Jesus was wise. That he was a wise guy. I mean, he was probably sarcastic too sometimes, but like he was actually a wise person. Um, just a wise guy. Jesus, when he's asked a question, generally does what? Asks another question or tells a story. That's right. right. Jesus generally, when he's asked a question or when wisdom is sought from him, he generally asks back a question or tells a story. Verse thir- chapter 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. That's it. All right, there you go. This is, this is typical Jesus. This is rabbinical Jesus. The disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? Which is just a great question, right? They don't say us. Right? They say them. Like, I, like, clearly we know what you're talking about. <laughs> Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Did you catch that? To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their hearts they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and in turn I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then this parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. Right? Sowing and reaping the mysteries of the kingdom, explaining, giving the disciples this hidden secret 
right? Th- these, these things that previously were not revealed. When he says to them, what they couldn't see, you do see, what was he talking about? What they couldn't see, you see. He was talking about me, himself, not me, Jesus. Right? He was talking about what they couldn't hear, you can hear. His words, what they, what they couldn't access, you are being invited to access. What's he inviting them to? Just his teaching? No, he's inviting him to himself. Like his way of understanding, his being, who he is, this relationship with them. The ones who sow in peace, the ones who reap that harvest are the ones who have made peace. Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. Right? Jesus is bringing himself time and time again. He is bringing himself time and time again to us and saying, come and understand wisdom by coming and understanding me. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the power of God. The cross is the power of God. The cross is the wisdom of God. To walk in wisdom is to walk with Christ. But Christ is not going to walk with you in a way that you define for him. He invites you to himself, right? He invites you to his story. Come into my mind, right? Come, come into this idea. Here's a question. Well, here's a story, right? Here's a question. Here's another question. Have you thought about it like this? Come and search. Come and know. Come and engage. Come and learn. Come and walk. Wisdom, gaining wisdom, is gaining Christ. Wisdom is Jesus. Walking in wisdom is walking with Christ. This has everything to do with intimacy. This has everything to do with a searching, a knowing, an engaging. It is not cool for us to live our lives separately from God. Go to God. Say, God, I've made a decision. Will you bless it? God, I've been walking. I've decided this is something. Please make it work. When we do this, we live a life of folly which Justin taught us about a couple of weeks ago. If you weren't here for that message, you've got to listen to that message, Wisdom and Folly, on our website. It's good stuff. Right? That, that, that's foolishness. That's foolishness because that's not how God works. That's not his economy. Walking in wisdom is walking with Christ. But Christ is to be searched and known. Right? The scriptures say, tell us that Christ is a mystery who's been revealed. But the more you learn, the more you know that you don't know. You know what else is a mystery? Women. Women are mysterious. Mysterious, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. One of the most common, one of the most common, like, uh, 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 marital counseling mantras I hear is, uh, why is she so complex? You know, like, husbands ask that. Why is my wife, like, so complicated? You know, I feel this, I think this, that's where I am. You know, she's like this one day, she's like this the next, and 
uh, Sherry and I's count, uh, mentor, she, he always says that um, when you're loving your wife, you're shooting at a moving target. Like it's, it's, the, it's, it's the idea that like there's, there's engagement here. You know, when Proverbs says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing, that doesn't mean that y- like you did good by getting married. It means that it's your job as a man to find your wife. Right? A better word there is the word mine. Right? He who minds his wife will find good things. Right? If you are willing to, to search her deeply, and if you are willing to push in and, and move and engage with her, you will only find riches and goodness from her. So my wife and I were with uh, Keith, who's our mentor one day, and... Um, we were talking about um, uh, an offense that was, we were both convinced the other person had offended the other, right? I was right, and she was wrong, and she was saying I was right, and he was wrong. And uh, now that's impossible in the situation, right? right? But we were also focusing on the wrong thing. So we sort of like went back and looked at the story and whatnot, and um, we saw this situation for what it was, and uh, it was this really beautiful entrance into a space where actual, like, truth and reality was able to be injected into the situation. And we both stopped being defensive uh, for a moment and was able to, like, sort of see the situation from a different perspective, which is the beauty of, of counseling, by the way. If you're married and not in counseling, you should consider it because it's, it's awesome, and it's a way to get perspective. So this thing came into perspective. Turns out I was completely wrong, right? I had completely messed this one up. My wife had, I mean, she wasn't, she's not, she's not perfect, but in that situation, I was, I was the offender, right? I was the offender. And so uh, Keith says uh, to Sherry, as, as we note this, that Jay is the offender in the situation, he goes, so Sherry, what would you like to happen to Jay as a result of this offense? Or what would you like Jay to do as a result of this offense? And Sherry was just sort of like, what? Keith was getting somewhere, right? He was taking us to wisdom. And uh, he's like, well, yeah, I mean, Jay offended you. Like, this was a problem. Like, you were, you felt this negatively. Is there something that you'd like to have happen to him? And Sherry couldn't think of anything. And he said, I have a suggestion. How about we kill him? Which I was slightly offended at. Now I got something to work out with Keith. How about we kill him? <laughs> Sherry's just sort of like, well, I, I, that might be a bit extreme. He's like, well, did he sin against you? Yes. What does sin require? Death. Right? I mean, any good church kid, we shouldn't be afraid of that. What does sin require? Death. Absolutely. And every time, Jay deserves to die for what he did to you. And I could see like this process happening in in both of our heads where theologically like we knew that that was right but we also knew that that was a bit crazy and there had to be like this other thing which of course is that jesus died so that i didn't have to right it was this really really beautiful time that we had together keith taught us about forgiveness and he taught us some principles of what it means to really listen to what happened to honor the offense that happened to put that penalty on Christ, to let Jesus take that, and then to walk in, in freedom from it. It was great, right? It, it, was, it was a really good time. Two days later, my wife was upset at me for the situation again. And I was just sort of like, 
I thought that we dealt with this. You know, like I thought that there was, that there was, that this thing had, I thought I died, you got to live, you won, I lost, right? This is, this is Jay's economy coming into play here in this situation, right? And so there's this obvious wisdom that I'm missing in this situation because what I didn't know is that Sherry had sort of like, she was looking at the situation this way while we were dealing with it. And now she had come over here and was looking at the situation this way. I only ever see any situation like this. You know, like this is how things are. Well, she had shifted and sort of moved and was now looking at this from this perspective. It turns out that, uh, you know, that I had not only hurt her in this one situation, in this one thing, but there was also another thing that I had brought, something that I had said, not just about the situation, but that I had said about her personally that I also needed to die for. Now, I took offense at this because I had already died, right? Remember, 2 o'clock on Wednesday, it was a little embarrassing. I was wrong. You were right. You know, it's but but she was she was she she had shifted she had she had moved not she hadn't done anything wrong she had just she was seeing and now feeling this perspective from this direction now from this direction everything was cool from this direction it needed a little bit more exploration now i have a choice in this situation right i can get really defensive and be like remember wednesday at two o'clock we were done this is over now shut up let's go you know don't tell you what to shut up i should I, you know don't do that um and i didn't say that to her but that's what i was thinking or I could mind my wife, right? I could humbly engage. I could listen to Ephesians 5 that says that a man's posture toward his wife is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, which means that a man should be continually dying. That the cross is what we do toward our wives. And then just step into it again. You know, step into it again. I didn't do it initially. I didn't get, but I did get there eventually. Come to find out. You know, that there was this thing that was real, except this time, get this, get this. We had, on Wednesday, we had dealt with the situation like this. When she was viewing it like this, she was seeing something that I had said to her in the, in the heat of the moment that was actually something that her dad used to say to her when she was a little girl, right? And so what happened then is that, like, here's my wife, here's the situation, Here's me. Here's her history. Here's her past. So by stepping into the mining of it, we were actually, it stopped being about me at all. And it became about this situation and these hurtful words that she had been walking in her past. Right? And there was this beautiful point of like revelation and of healing, not toward me at all. God just used me as an instrument to get her to a place of healing that she needed. Right? And so it was a, it was a pushing in. It was an engagement. That, that is a prophetic picture, I think, of what it means to walk in wisdom. And walking in wisdom being walking with Christ. It is to push in. It is to sow seeds. It is to sow seeds of peace, right? And this is James. James is a Jew. When he thinks of peace, he is thinking of shalom. He is thinking of wholeness. He's not thinking of a lack of conflict. He's thinking of rest. He's thinking of relationships being whole, relationships being right. And he is pushing us to the work of making peace, sowing seeds of peace, so that a harvest 
of relational righteousness can be how we live and work together. What gets in the way of that, and my story was just an analogy, it doesn't matter if you're married, if you're single, or if you're young, or if you're old. What gets in the way of that is ourselves. What gets in the way of that is wisdom from the world, wisdom that's earthly and sensual and demonic, wisdom that has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, like he says, at its heart. That's what keeps us from sowing in peace. That's what keeps us from being people who make peace, who establish wholeness. Look, your world is being torn apart. It wants to be destroyed. Jesus brings this harvest of righteousness through wisdom. And that wisdom is that walk walk with Christ that is a deep searching of him. That is a mining of Jesus. Which means that when Jesus gives a parable instead of an easy answer, what's he doing for us? He is loving us, right? Here's a story. Think about it. I love you, right? Jesus, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Well, here's a question for you to think about in the midst of the bad stuff that's happening for you. I love you, right? And that question pushes more into Christ. Where else are you going to get your answers from? That's what Peter said, right? Where else are we going to go? So you just push in more, and you listen more. And you engage the stories more. Generally, all that we want is the easy answer so we can get back to our practical life. Right? Why is bad things happening to me? Well, who really cares? All things work together for good. Oh, I feel great for two and a half seconds. You know? Suddenly my life's falling apart again. Why? Because that's not wisdom. Oh, Jay, that's scripture. Nah, that's not scripture. You read that with the Holy Spirit and the context of it. Now you're with the scripture. Don't just throw me a cliche. Don't just give me a trite Christian phrase I'm supposed to walk away from and expect that to make it all better. I haven't searched a thing. All right, I'm putting a Band-Aid on an open artery. You've got to be joking. All right, what does God call us into? He calls us into intimacy, into life, into a searching and a knowing of him. And he's so ready to give it. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 26, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us. Wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are in Christ. Christ has became to us wisdom from God. Verse 1 of chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? The Corinthians love worldly wisdom. Like they'll talk about philosophy and and all these deep thoughts of, of this person and that person until they're blue in the face. But the wisdom of God is not in those things. The wisdom of God needs to be revealed. 
right? And the wisdom of God that Paul is choosing here with the Corinthians is the cross of Christ. It's the only thing I know. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Verse 4, my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature, now pay attention, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Right? Wisdom, true wisdom is given by the Holy Spirit. Listen to Paul's other definition of spirit. This just is coming to me, so I am thinking on my feet. Hang on. All right, this is Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit of God intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. Right? That's different. There's a, there's a searching. There's a pulling. Verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of, is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit if he dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ is the seat of wisdom. Wisdom is to be mined. It is to be searched. It is to be pulled. Right? It's to be engaged because wisdom is Christ. Christ is our wisdom. He is the wisdom from God. So in the same way that my wife is beautifully complex, right? And strongly emotional in a blessed way, right? This, this engagement that requires me that to know her, I have to push in. Not just set up certain ways that we operate. Now you're not operating according to the contract anymore. Right? This is a, this is a picture. This is an idea of what it means for us to push in to Jesus, to pursue to engage this wisdom that Paul says is worth searching out. That it is the mind of Christ. I mean, Jesus gives himself to us in such interesting ways, right? I mean, think about who he is. Think about what he's done. Here, Jesus comes to earth. King of kings, Lord of lords, born in a barn in the feeding trough. 
the wisdom of God on earth, wrapped in swaddling clothes and given to two teenagers who can barely handle their responsibility. Right? This is the wisdom of God. His name is Jesus. Right? And he grows, and he learns, and he engages. And here is God of God, King of kings. And he comes to his cousin and says, please baptize me. And his cousin says, are you crazy? I know who you are. You don't need, I like to baptize you. You need to baptize me. No, you need to baptize me. It is right for it to be like this. Okay, I'll baptize you. Right? The heavens open. The favor of God comes down. You are my son. In you I am well pleased. Now go don't eat and drink for 40 days. So he goes, he doesn't eat and drink for 40 days. He engages the enemy. The enemy tries to get him to fall. What does Jesus come back with? What he has mined, right? Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. Don't, don't tempt the Lord your God. Get behind me. You should not live by bread alone. The wisdom of Jesus goes out. And he doesn't go to the rabbinical schools, and he doesn't go out looking for all the sharpest students of Torah. Jesus goes, and he walks along the Sea of Galilee, and he finds some guys who didn't make it in rabbinical school, who didn't figure out the Torah very well. And he sees them mending their nets, and hey, come and follow me. Let Harai, come and walk with me. Let me be your teacher. Jesus, in the wisdom of God, chooses the B team, the ones who couldn't make it. Right, the ones who had just gone back to ply their trade. And he takes these 12 crazy people. There's a political zealot in there. There's a tax collector that everybody hates in there. A bunch of stinky fishermen in there. And they're all together, this ragtag band. And he walks with them, and they see him doing all of these incredible things. And Jesus, like, he, he really engages some interesting people. One night, in the middle of the night, he engages this religious leader. And these guys already hate him. But this guy's got good questions. Like, so teacher, like, what is it that you want from us? You must be born again. What? I need to go back in my mother's womb? No, you must be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? Seriously? Next chapter, Jesus is talking to a woman of ill repute by himself at a well. She came there in the middle of the day because all the other women come in the morning, and she doesn't want to be seen because they know who she is. Are you thirsty? I'll give you something to drink. Really? If you drink my water, you'll never be thirsty again. I think I'd like some of that. You don't understand. You don't understand. Drink of me, and you'll never be thirsty again. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got some friends that need to hear this. Like, can you come and tell them these cryptic sayings too? Right? Bring them, sure. Were you just talking to that woman? Are you crazy? Do you know who she is? Right? And Jesus, he engages with people that are nobody else would. I mean, there's this whole group of people that everyone has scorned forever. Right? The lepers hang out on the outside of town. They're not welcome. And Jesus engages with them and heals them like, they're just normal people. Amazing stuff. He's getting this big crowd. Everybody's following. Like, people are coming together because he does all kinds of amazing things and he heals people and he feeds 5,000 people with a happy meal. And he's got this big crowd. And he says to them, you're only coming to me because you want stuff to eat and drink. 
I'll tell you right now, you want something to eat and drink? Here's something to eat and drink. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. To the people with the most ridiculous dietary restrictions ever known that can't eat the blood of anything. I mean, you only eat meat well done. He says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And lost all kinds of followers that day. He just pushed them away with this wisdom. Turns to the 12 that were still sticking it out and gave them a second chance. You want to leave too? Where else would we go? You alone are the words of life. Yeah, right, right. Like they're, 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 they're getting it. Why? Because they're walking with Jesus. Like they're, they're engaging him. They're with him. They're seeing him. And the Pharisees come back to him again and again. And they're testing him. And they're trying to find some kind of a fault with him. And they come to him. And Jesus declares who he is to them. Before your father Abraham was, I am. Right? Declaring himself. I mean, how would you know this? Like, how, how do you get to know somebody? You, you, you walk with him. The Pharisees can't handle it. They just go back to themselves, try and find a way to trick him again, and then come back. Right? The wisdom of God is Jesus with a guy born blind who doesn't ask to be healed. Jesus hawking a loogie on the ground, playing with it, and then smearing it on the guy's eyes. That's the wisdom of God. Let me play with my spit. Right? The wisdom of God is Jesus having a woman caught in adultery come to him and all the front of the, in front of the Pharisees and him drawing on the ground. That's the wisdom of God. Right? The wisdom of God is Jesus' good friend being on his way to death. The scriptures say deliberately choosing to wait until he dies and then waiting three days to make sure he's actually really dead and then going. The wisdom of God is Jesus saying to a people that are, that are just torn up in mourning and pain. I'm the resurrection and the life. Believe in me and you'll never die. The wisdom of God is Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. The wisdom of God is Jesus getting up from the table and taking off of his clothes and putting on the servant's rags and washing the disciples' feet, the one who should have been washing his. The wisdom of God is Jesus engaging the disciples and telling them what it means for them to be in him, that if you don't do anything else, do this, remain in the vine. The wisdom of God is the revelation of the Holy Spirit. If I leave, it's better for me to leave, Jesus says. This is wisdom. It's better for me to leave because if I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the stuff that you've seen me do, heal people, from, heal people, raise people from the dead, teach like this, all this stuff, you're going to do better and greater things than that. That's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is Jesus praying for his people with such fervency that we would be one. A people who are no closer to being one in the time when Jesus is praying that you could jump over the moon. You know, it's just insane. That these might be one as we are one. The wisdom of God is Jesus standing up to his betrayer and receiving his kiss on the cheek. The wisdom of God is Jesus praying to his father, not my will, but yours be done. The wisdom of God is the beatings and the torture and the murder, the reception of the cross. The wisdom of God, even the power of God, is this. Where Jesus is completely laid bare, 100% open, resting on the plans of his Father. This is our God. 
And this is how he presents himself to us. This is how he gives himself to us. He is wisdom. He is amazing, right? He is revolutionary and strong. He is wise beyond words. His teaching changes our lives. He is the only thing that we need. He is everything. He is what you need for your life. He is your power. He is your wisdom. So when we treat power as this thing that we need from time to time when things aren't going right, when we treat wisdom as sort of like this commodity that we keep in a jar on the side that we open when we need a good cliche to get us through a hard time, we completely miss who Jesus actually is because what he wants is engagement. Come listen to my story. Don't just listen to it. Listen to it. Right? Come and eat my flesh and drink my blood. Don't Don't just say you follow me. Draw your life from me. Come and be in this. Understand me, know me, engage me. Come and and be with me. Come and let me make you whole. And Jesus isn't this heavy, weighty wisdom. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble. You will find rest for your souls. You will find shalom. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, is sown in shalom by those who make wholeness, who make this thing. Jesus invites you to be this. Jesus invites you to this relationship. He is the wisdom of God, a wisdom that needs mining, right? A wisdom to push into the secret, the hidden things of God are revealed by the Spirit of Christ. James says later on in his book, not later, early in his book, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Let him ask of God who gives liberally. Look at the picture. Is that not a liberal gift? And how much does God love us? The cross of Christ, the wisdom of God. Jesus, the wisdom, the voice, the perspective, the story, the question, the relationship. And he again issues the invitation today. Come, come and drink. Come and eat. Come and be with me. Come follow me. This is the wisdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you that we can be your people, your children, your wisdom lavished on us in Christ. What it means for us to walk in health, in relationship, in wholeness, in goodness, Open for us, Father, the mining of who you are. Draw us into the beauty of Jesus, the word of Jesus, the truth of Jesus, the relationship that we have with Christ. Make us people who walk in your presence, who engage your spirit, who, who 
are present with you in the moment. Thank you, God, for giving us Christ. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. God, thank you for the depths of who you are. We bless you. God, we lack wisdom. So would you give it to us by increasing our capacity to know Christ and to walk with Christ, to know your mind, to engage your heart, to feel what you feel, to see what you see, to hear what you hear, to, 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 to hear your words. Thank you for your wisdom, God, the wisdom that is Jesus. We bless you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's see for just a second. Oh, I just I wanted to clarify one thing. Hey, when I said women are complicated, that's a good thing. I didn't mean that at all negative. Women are complex and bless them for being so. That is how God made it. If you want your wife to be more simple, girlfriend to be more simple, sister, whoever, to be more simple, you're praying the wrong thing. You need to pray for more complexity, right? You need to pray for a deepening of that because that will enable your ability to live in the balance that is the image of God revealed as male and female. You hear what I just said? Male and female, he created them. That is the image of God on earth, right? So we need male to be more male, and we need female to be more female, right? We need women to be more women, men to be more men, and the more that God increases that, the more the image of God is fully revealed and fully released. So that is something to be embraced, complexity, that, that, that beauty, that mystery. Man, that's good stuff. I just wanted to make sure I was coming across the right way. Have a great day. Go with God.